In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest with us, Ethan Chernofsky, VP of Marketing for, for Place, Placer AI. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, you're nailing it. Uh, that's awesome. There you go. Uh, welcome to the show, Ethan. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Likewise. And again, uh, I know you're, you're probably really busy, so thanks for taking some time to, to give our listeners some expertise here. Why don't you, before we kind of start out, give us a little bit about your role in, in the company. Sure. So uh, I lead marketing for Placer. At our essence, we're, we're, we're a location analytics company. So what that means in like the simplest form is, you know, you think people vote with their feet. So we're showing you how people are voting every day to every location in the United States. And uh, critically, it's like anonymized aggregate data. We're only looking at those wider macro trends. We're not looking at the individual. We're looking at kind of what's happening overall. We're being used by uh, retailers, commercial real estate, investors, uh, municipalities, just to understand what's really happening in, in offline retail. That's awesome. And, and, and how, you know, going into the technology a little bit, how, how do you guys do that? So, I mean, it starts with a panel of devices. So we, we kind of observe a panel of 30 million devices in the U.S., again, only seeing anonymized aggregate data back. And then we utilize machine learning and AI to then make estimations based off of that panel. So if you think 250 people tell you who they're going to vote for for president, and you can have a margin of error for, of 4% of you know how the election is going to go, 30 million behavior, not what we think, but what we're actually doing. It's a really robust resource. And then we are able to kind of slice and dice that data set in a variety of different formats to provide this really complex, robust picture of what's happening offline. What are some, what are some customer uh, use cases for you guys in, in retail and kind of that brick and mortar world? So in, in retail, a lot of it is, you know, it started off very heavily in site selection. So I have 20 stores. Imagine you, you know, you and I have a pizza shop, right? And we want to open our next three locations. So taking the attributes of our successful location and looking for similar places elsewhere, or we want to expand to a new market. That's been a really valuable use case for us in retail. And that's really what kind of kicked us off there, especially since we came from the commercial real estate side of things. But then over time, we're seeing more and more use cases. So competitive intelligence, understanding what kind of marketing activities online are driving offline impact, seeing how offline events are working, understanding pop-ups and products and you know different formats for stores. I think everyone's trying an off-price format. How do you measure that? How do you understand how it's doing relative to that market? The cool thing about data is it's essentially an endless well of information. It's just, can you figure out the right questions to ask? And so we're challenged every day you know, by customers and ourselves just trying to figure out what questions to ask. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Have the use cases changed for your product during COVID or how are brick and mortar operators using your, your service now? Or is, is nothing changed? I think it's what was really interesting was to see more people getting involved in the process. So when you think of a large retailer, again, the real estate team, this was a no-brainer. They always understood the value. It was so inherent to what they did on a day-to-day -day basis. But what's been fascinating is retailers are understanding 
that they can find out a lot about what's happening in the world from a resource like this. And so from everything to finding a creative idea for how I want to utilize my parking lot space to understanding which stores I should look, I should close or which ones I should turn into a distribution center or understanding how, you know, you think like, a, you know, an example that we find really fascinating is think of Pier 1. Pier 1's closing all of their stores. If I'm a Pier 1 competitor, how do I identify where those vacuums are and how I can reach that audience to fill that vacuum so that in the post-Pier 1 world, they're turning to my brand as, you know, I- instead. And so, again, what's, what's been really interesting is, especially in times like this, you, you end up partnering with your customers in a much more significant way. And so the ideation and the creativity are certainly expanding. And I think that's why, you know, it's, it's great to be kind of an optimist on a podcast that's called Re- Reborn, but like, or Brick and Mortar Reborn. But like, I mean, it's the truth. Like, we're about to hit this next wave of retail and we're going to talk about this the same way we talked about the dot-com bubble bursting when we think about companies like Amazon or the financial crisis, what it does for like innovative companies, it creates a space for them to, to really thrive. And that's happening now. And to have a finger on that pulse is super exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I totally agree with you. I think there's a new, I guess, you know, uh, just talking about the title of the podcast, uh, a rebirth of, you know, what, what we'll see in, in brick and mortar. And I think that, that the companies that are taking advantage of learning and using data and, and being able to look at, hey, where am I going to actually go increase my footprint? What am I going to do? And new new geographies and all that good stuff. I think a very valid point. Yeah, I mean, I'll even I'll, I'll cut you off with with an interesting point, just to be super rude. But like, you know, just I, I'm a nerd about this and it gets me. No, cool. I want you to cut me off. I, I want to hear it. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, we did it. We did an analysis. You know, it was last year, and there was it's a story we tell a lot, just because we find it so fascinating. Of like, Walmart announced they were closing a few super centers as they were closing like a bunch of neighborhoods goods locations, and we, I think, like everyone in offline retail, were like, oh no, that's it. Like we might as well say goodbye to offline retail and brick and mortar because if Walmart's struggling, we're all screwed. But what we found was that Walmart wasn't just closing random stores. They were closing locations that were being cannibalized by other Walmart locations. So they were just optimizing. And why this is so critical is like when you think of the world of e-commerce and online distribution, the cheat code that those that channel had was the ability to very rapidly optimize and maximize output. And when you think that was completely missing from the world of retail for, you know, up until just a few years ago, and you think of like, when we talk about retail apocalypse, quote unquote, and companies like Sears or Kmart with these massive numbers of closures, it's because they expanded in a time where they didn't have access to data. They were doing the best that they could. But now there's this whole class of older retailers that are adapting and newer retailers, which is even more exciting. They're building their strategies based on this essential power that didn't exist before. And I think that's going to make for a much healthier, more sustainable, and perhaps most importantly, more interesting retail landscape. Totally agree. Great insight. What do you, what do you think as, as you look at kind of the, the ecosystem, and this could be either pre-COVID or, or during COVID days, but what, what are some of the biggest changes based on your guys' data that you've seen kind of in consumer behavior? COVID's been fascinating when looking at consumer behavior just because you watched, it was like science experiment where you have a control group where like, imagine if I told you pre-COVID, people can't go to work, they can only go to the grocery store. Like you're creating this weird science experiment and you're understanding how do people truly want to behave in this environment. And so we saw really interesting things like people don't want to go to the supermarket on the weekends. They don't want to go to the supermarket at night. They want to go in the morning and they want to go on like a Tuesday because, and when, what's crazy is when they do, 
they'll spend more time at the supermarket, they'll purchase more items, and it will change their behavior and it'll change the way that they shop. And you think the ramifications are enormous. So if I understand that this is how people want to shop, what do I do as a grocer? Not now, but a year from now to help create that environment. What do I do as a professional who now has the ability to tell my boss, you know I can work flexibly, right? So I'm going to come in, instead of coming in every single day at 8.30 and leaving at 5 or 6, I'm going to come in one day at 11, and I'm going to go to the grocery store Tuesday morning. And what does that mean for me and the weekend and that hour and a half that I've gained back on Sunday? Like, I'm personally going to be lazy, eat ice cream, and watch football, but other people are going to go out and do things, and they're going to be available to other types of experiences that they were blocked from before just because they didn't have the time for it. So I think we're learning a lot about what people really want. And there's a really interesting capacity to adapt to those behaviors. What do you think retailers, and I I think the larger retailers have the luxury of being able to, you know, take a lot of data, you know, and, and be able to kind of analyze what they should do next. But what do you think that common operator that's listening to this show, what can they do as far as like preparing for the future here? We've learned a lot about the importance of being resilient on the back of being diversified. So if I'm a restaurant, whether it's a mom and pop shop or Olive Garden, I know I need takeaway and I know I need delivery and I know I need those to be strengths. Okay. It doesn't mean it's the core of my business. It just means I need to have it. Right. And if I have it, it's going to help me deal when there's a snowstorm and it's going to help me deal when school's out for whatever reason, or, you know, when there's flu season, who knows, but that strength is going to be an asset to me. It also tells you like, how flexible have you been? So the example, you know, an example we've talked about a lot is if you're a Miami based restaurant and the basketball team in your city is destroying and having an epic kind of run, why aren't you putting up a screen in your parking lot that's next to the Chick-fil-A or Popeye's or mom and pop restaurant or whatever else and saying, come, hang out next to your car, eat, be around a crowd, because this is how we want to celebrate sports. And so I think what we're loving, you know, another example, you know, look at Best Buy. Best Buy, pre-opening up their stores fully, they had appointment-only shopping. Any retailer can do that. Any apparel retailer can say, hey, because of COVID, we're launching this new special personalized shopping experience where you're going to have 20 to 30 minute gaps where we're going to only focus on you. And that's a better experience for the customer. It's better from a social distancing perspective. It allows you to deepen the relationships and make the best out of a difficult situation. And maybe that's not everything you do in a year from now, but maybe it's something you do on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday when your traffic is lower anyway. Maybe it's an asset you call upon at certain times of the year. And so I think this ability to test out new concepts and just widen that arsenal is a unique opportunity at the moment. And what do you think... um... As retailers think about, you know, what what to focus on next, are there areas that you think they should also avoid doing? Like, you know, not getting too excited about, hey, uh, this, this, none of us know what, what happens here in the future. Is this a new normal? Maybe there's a new version of this right in the future. What are some things that you think retailers should avoid doing right now? I think from a narrative perspective, you have to avoid the hype of death of or this is the most important thing you've ever heard in most cases. Because the things that, you know, I think so death of, you know, like, oh, is rental retail, is that the end of it? Probably not. Some more people are going to struggle and some people are going to be fine and it's going to have a new iteration. And you think of like the rise of that's maybe over-exaggerated of like being online only, think of the margins, but it like, it doesn't, when you actually look at those brands, I mean, it's to the extent that you'd call it a lie, Right. You look at 200%, you know, massive increase, 200% increase for Target in e-commerce, that amounted to 9% of their actual revenue growth. So in this situation, uh, when you're talking about 
you know, the CEO of Everlane coming out last year and saying the dirty secret of online is that you can't be profitable by being online only. You know, so yes, online's so important and it has to be part of your engagement in most cases, obviously. But that if you are if you are saying, huh, that's it, I'm getting rid of the store and now I'm gonna go online only, like you're basically it's the likelihood of it being the kiss of death as opposed to an opportunity is higher. And so I think be wary of the extreme narratives. As you're thinking about it, I know omnichannel is like that, that word is uh, no longer used in a lot of cases because we just think about online, offline experiences being one of the same. What are some areas that you think as, again, kind of that average retailer or brick and mortar operator is thinking about their you know, offline, online experiences? What, what are some things to take note of as they're building that up? Communication. You want really effective communication. Like, you know, we, my wife and I, it was my wife's birthday and we wanted to order from a restaurant and we messaged them. We're looking online and we messaged four restaurants. Two of them got back to us. Two of them didn't. Like, so are you rapidly responding? Do you have it built into messaging? Super important. Do you have, if you're a restaurant, do you have the ability to order a table online? Just make it as seamless as possible. Do I have the ability to cancel online so it makes it really simple? Can I do like appointment only shopping through, through digital? Can I create a really simple mechanism where someone comes into my store, finds an item that they like, but that's not in the size that they want or the color that they need, depending on the product range? Or, you know, they know they want Toy X, but we just don't happen to have it today. How do I make that process really easy to for them to order it and receive it? And again, this this really, like you said, like a, a more seamless experience between online and offline so that it is a holistic experience. Are there experiences that you've seen, whether it just in-store or, or really kind of, I guess, online, offline experiences that you've seen that have done really well? I look at the big boys and I think they do some things that are just so incredibly effective. You know, think Target, Walmart, their buy online pickups in store is so strong. The ability to kind of, you know, brands that have where products are. But I think maybe the more interesting cases, look at people who don't have online. Look at off-price retail. Like they're offline, I mean, their online presence is almost non-existent. And like, think about what would you would like there. Like imagine if you walked into an off-price retailer and there you hadn't found the exact thing you wanted, but they had a booth set up that could tell you if it was at another store in the exact size you wanted, and potentially you could get it delivered to you. Or, you know, we don't need to be down the middle in how we approach online and offline. And it means something different for many different brands. So not every brand needs an offline location. They can suffice with pop-up stores or sitting in a department store or some other kind of uh, strategy. But it's the same thing for online. Not everyone needs to have this massively robust online ecosystem, but they have to have one that complements their activities. Makes sense. Makes sense. Do you have a favorite brand that you visit that you think, uh, you know, real life example of, of, of someone that you really like? Yeah, I love Costco. I know it's so nerdy. I just, I love, and you know, it's interesting. I know it's like, you know, I'm like a 34 year old man telling you that I love wholesale. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, like, I'll walk you through why. I walk into a Costco. I expect to get a lot of things that I love for a really good price. And I never walk out of Costco thinking I didn't get that. And what's crazy is I never leave Costco getting 75 other things that I didn't plan on getting when I went there. And I'm always excited about it. But then what's so crazy is I love Costco so much that when Costco tells me they're going to help me find a rental car online, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Costco's travel website pre-COVID was rapidly growing and it was like horribly marketed. It was just people saying, I love Costco so much and I trust them so much that anything they offer, I'll do. I'm going to get a kidney transplant at Costco because that's how much (laughs) I trust them. And that starts with 
every time I want a big thing of blueberries and I want it at a good price, they're going to have it. And so understanding how that initial simple transaction and the ability to fulfill it so consistently and so effectively enables them to say, I will give you this, I will give you this and I'll buy in the whole way. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and they also, you know, uh, they really create experiences in their locations, although they're wholesale, you know, they let you try a lot of things. I know pre-COVID, of course, there's a lot more kind of food samples and stuff like that as well. But overall, the, the brands are able to market themselves in the warehouse. So that, that, that's a great experience overall. What are you thinking about, you know, as, as you're thinking about kind of technology that's really transformed brick and mortar, what are some technologies that you're like, oh, th- this was this was adopted faster than I thought? Interesting. I mean, I'll give you I'll give you both sides of the coin. I think micro fulfillment is one of the most interesting technologies, period. I think the ability to bring brands closer and certain types of products faster is going to be a game changer in terms of this competing against the ever present Amazon, you know, is super interesting. And there's some really cool brands like Fabric doing really interesting things in terms of where they're positioning locations. So love that. Love the idea of like in-store analysis and in-store data of like, how do we make a better experience for people? How do we, you know, there's that aisle that you always skip or there's that place where, you know, people are walking, but we could actually, re- I mean, th- that how do you just create that much more seamless experience? And then like, you know, I'll, I'll even, I'll take it from our space in terms of just like location data. It's fascinating to me who picks it up faster. So real estate teams, operation teams, strategy teams are leading the charge on the use cases. And, you know, as a marketer, it's, it's always interesting to see that we, in some cases, are a step behind in leveraging these data sources even though we should inherently appreciate their value most because we come from online. Like we understand what it is to like be able to target more effectively and provide more personalized experiences and the like. And so I think what's exciting about so many of the really interesting retail technologies is that they're only scratching the surface. Like you're not, you haven't seen crazy adoption yet and it's still enough to sustain this industry, but it means that the world of retail is going to look hopefully so much more interesting five, six years from now as this pace continues. 100%. 100%. And I think one of the realizations, I think a point that you made earlier, we're talking to a bunch of operators now that were like, you know, we're, we were online only. And now actually with the acceleration of COVID, we're thinking about putting up, uh, you know, smaller kind of footprint locations across the United States and beyond. And, and I think it's very interesting because in this time, they've been able to use their online data to figure out, hey, these are the areas that we probably should have in store. We should have store experiences, right, to complement our online strategy. So I think that's that, that's been an interesting thing that, that that's been the learning. And I, and I and I can think, and I don't know what's what's your thought around this. I think malls will transform to be a lot more smaller footprint stores versus those larger, you know, department stores, and be able to field a lot of these like experiences and brands that we probably haven't seen. You are reading my mind on this, and I could not agree with you more. I think it's. I think it's one of the things we talked about. We talked about this in late 2019, so pre-COVID. So the most important trend in retail is the direct-to-consumer and product wave. So think of like, we included Nikes and like Lululemons and Adidas's within this mix, but own brand stores. And you think like, what's the value there? One, developing the relationship with the companies. Two, distribution, returns, making that all much, much cheaper but also the marketing value. We spoke to a brand that had zero locations and is looking to expand to a thousand across the country because they realized that the eyeballs they get in malls and in major shopping centers actually amounts to more effective utilization of their money than trying to compete for those ad dollars online. And so I think this is this is a wave that's going to change things dramatically. But what's so cool is going to 
I think it changes things much for the better. So, you know, I, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania and you go one direction, there's a mall that has, you know, a Macy's and a Sears and whatever else. And you go the other direction and there's a mall that has a Macy's and a Sears and whatever else. And it's, <laughs> it's a real copy and paste mall experience. But when you think of like, all right, this mall is going to have a Nike and a Allbirds and a Warby Parker, and that other mall is going to have really chic, new, interesting brands that are like really cutting edge. And the other one's going to be filled with a co-working space and a CVS and a grocery store because now they have this weird little ecosystem that they're building. And all of a sudden, you have this ability to turn not just the top tier malls into winners, but that whole ecosystem. And it's going to be about, are you creative enough? Do you have the, the foresight to try and test out some of these exciting new things in terms of tenant mix? 100%. 100%. I think uh, it, this was interesting. There's, I don't know if you've heard, uh, there's a mall uh, in the New Jersey area that just opened up called the American Dream. They opened up, you know, about a month ago or whatever the case may be. But great, great as far as, you know, all they're focused on is experiences. Water parks in, internally. I think it's the largest water park in the in the world, I think, if I remember correctly. And a bunch of smaller footprint stores. So you're totally right. Like that, that mix is going to look different. We're going to go for that experience. And we're going to learn about new brands as we go for that experience. So it's, it's going to be great. Agreed. I mean, American Dream is so fascinating because when they just had experience, they didn't have retail. They were already starting to pick up traffic and then clearly COVID hit. So now they have retail. That's super interesting. I just think one of the big lessons we learned from like a like a brand list, right? It's not, I mean, I think like a neighborhood's goods model that says we're going to build a brand, but we're going to use that brand to push other brands to the forefront. That's a really interesting model. But this idea of like, we don't need to have a brand. You'll come here for the other brands. That doesn't work. Like I could buy a pair of Nike shoes at Macy's, but I better have care about Macy's and I better care about Nike. And so I think it's, I think what's what we're realizing is that brand has probably never mattered more, and that's a super important to think important thing to remember. Whether you are a local pizza shop and a power retailer with thousands of you know hundreds of stores or anything in between. Yeah, I totally agree. And what do you what do you think, Ethan? As far as uh, what is what is some technology that we're going to see have uh, really the biggest impact on shaping the future here for brick and mortar? I think it's again, it's is how do I distribute more efficiently and more effectively? So last mile, micro-fulfillment, those pieces. And then interestingly enough, I think we're going to see a, a counterintuitive push where we see an equilibration between spending offline and spending online that's going to bring those two more as I try to compete for those eyeballs. So you need to get more creative in terms of, you know, every, you know, how many, you know, how many times you heard someone, oh, all you need to do is go viral like this brand, like that's yeah. so <laughs> randomly lucky. It's so hard to do, but like having really smart, sophisticated strategies that span everything from billboards to, to online ads, to Facebook, to, to the, the whole spectrum to make sure that people are going to get that first touch point. And then when they come into your store, it's going to feel the same. They're going to get what they ask for. They're going to be excited about what they see. And like, I think it's so it's, it's twofold. It's, it's technologies that are going to allow you to get your brand authenticity across. And then on the flip side, once that brand authenticity has landed, technologies that are going to allow you to get products to people. And obviously the big cherry on top is just, I mean, I'm biased here, but like I came from an online data company to a, to an offline data company. Like it's data, like it, the ability to read the tea leaves early I mean, it's not magic. It's just, it's numbers. And so the crazy, the coolest thing is that like when we work with customers is you can have seven people look at, da- at, at the same data source, the same thing, the same trend and come up with eight different ideas on top of it. And that's the magic, right? Of like, it's your creativity, it's your spin. And that's what's going to, I think, make it such a valuable asset. 
Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Any last words? That was a wealth of information. Anything that I didn't ask that you think our listeners should know about, both present and future? No, I think you asked. You're dead on with where kind of this world is is going. I mean, so this podcast is so 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 excellent. It's. I think the key thing is, you know, we're in a unique time, but that unique time is an opportunity if you grab it. And it's test, get creative, become more robust today. And it's not about God willing, there is no other COVID, but there's going to be something that reminds us of it, even in a small way. And so if you're a gym, figure out how to use your parking lot for classes or do online things to keep people informed. If you're a apparel store, create personalized shopping hours. And all of these things will help you in the long run. And you can look at the trends and you can identify where the world is going with data as a resource. So I think this is a golden opportunity for retailers of all sizes. And I think it's just about recognizing we're in a difficult situation, but embracing that that excitement and energy to do something creative. No, it totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Wealth of information. Thank you so much, Ethan. I'll leave you with a, a kind of a fun one for our, for our listeners. I know you're originally from Pennsylvania, but you're in Tel Aviv right now. Any fun spots in Tel Aviv as far as uh, what you'd recommend if people are traveling? When they start to travel? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Come. I think that's the most important thing. It's a really, you know, from Rothschild, it's just kind of like this strange mix of our San Francisco, our midtown Manhattan, and then like a European street with filled with coffee shops and restaurants. It's uh, just a uniquely energetic city. And uh, come and come visit us. Come have a coffee with us at Placer. We'd love to see you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Again, thank you so much. I know you're busy. Thanks for taking the time. Our listeners are really going to appreciate this. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to be here. Absolutely. Likewise. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.